Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. I figured it out, you know, but the, figured it out makes 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 me sound like I'm smart, you know, in that way. No, I, I figured it out. That is, no, just stick to it. Just keep at it. And the the adage of the 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 harder you work, the luckier you get is is what happened honestly and uh and so i ended up you know tripping into reality tv at its it's kind of at its inception because somebody took a chance on me you know and um and and it flourished from there the the poetry thing continued uh just because um i i'll i'll write all of my life you know regardless of of whether i get paid to do it I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Donnie, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, it is my pleasure to have you here. So uh, as I was saying before we hit record, um, I found out about your work through Cher Hale, who is literally the only publicist that we have never once said no to. She has <laughs> a remarkable track record with us. Uh, anytime my friends ask who should I hire as a book publicist, she's the person that I say they should go to. So uh, absolute pleasure to get in here. Before we get into your work, I want to start asking you, uh, what did your parents do for work? And how did that end up shaping the choices that you've made throughout your life and career? My dad was a postal worker for 35 years after the Air Force, and my mom was a nurse's aide. So, the, you know, working class uh, family in, in Pittsburgh. Uh-huh. And in terms of how it shaped uh, my upbringing, uh, you know, lots of ways. I mean, some of them uh, in, invisible that I, I couldn't even tell you, I'm sure. But the ones that I, I'm super aware of uh, have to do with uh, work ethic, uh, for one. Uh, my parents worked very hard and encouraged uh, encouraged me uh, to work hard and to to be uh, consistent and reliable. Um, and also, uh, I guess an offshoot of that was uh, the the notion of integrity, uh, and being honorable, and uh, being being true to your word. And uh, and some of that certainly got reflected in the workplace, but they also wanted it to be reflected in how I treated other people, how I kind of showed up in in the world, you know, as a as a, as a young black kid in a world that wasn't necessarily built for a young black kid. So um, those are some of the ways that I think uh, what my parents did for a living and, and how they uh, invested themselves in uh, work and uh, honor and integrity. Um, I, I think those are, those are things that um, informed who I am. Yeah. So, I mean, with your dad as, as a postal worker, I mean, and your mother doing what she did, like, I mean, these seem like very consistent, predictable career paths that 
um, have a very, very linear arc. And of course, just from knowing what I do about you, I know yours hasn't been that. Um, what did they teach you about making your way in the world? Like, what did they teach you about careers? What advice did they give you? Uh, and, uh, you know, when you present a path like this to them, what do they say to it? Well, that's interesting because they, they didn't present uh, a path to me. What they did was nurture me being like uh, a bright shy kid. And, uh, so they, they certainly encouraged, uh, reading and they were very supportive of, of my, uh, academic success. And there was, because there was no kind of pathway beyond, uh, working class life, they, they really couldn't envision what, uh, what I would be. Uh, I, I think part of it was just, uh, uh, a great reservoir of hope that it would be something beyond what they were doing. And so it was just a constant uh, diet of of being boosted up. Uh, so basically, you know, whatever you're doing, keep doing that, and uh, you know, keep bringing A's home. And uh, why is there a B? And you know, I bet you can do better. That kind of thing <laughs> uh, sounds, sounds uh, a lot like an Indian family. Yeah, and uh, but but I guess what what is uh, implied in that is we know you can, uh, as opposed to uh, something lofty and, and unreachable. Uh, the 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 unspoken assumption is that w- we know you can, and only in hindsight do do uh, did I realize that that was the thing uh, that that level of confidence in 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 my ability to do things uh, was kind of a lifeblood, and and definitely informed my my willingness to take risks and and try things that nobody else in my family had the opportunity to do or the 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 interest in in doing. So I think their, their support allowed me to be risky in, in, a, in a family where people did take stable jobs because uh, risk wasn't, wasn't a way to put food on the table. Yeah. Well, so in addition to that, so, you know, one of the things I thought was interesting that you said was you said, you know, for them, they didn't put a path in front, in front of you because path in front of you because of the fact that they can't, couldn't see, you know, sort of beyond the working class life that they had. So as a young boy with, you know, them as your parents, how did you find the vision for what your life could be when that's what they could see? But um, obviously you saw something else. And I, I can't take credit for being, you know, this, this uh, amazing visionary, honestly, uh, you know, part of it is just kind of tumbling through it. But what they, what they did do is encourage education. And so, you know, I lived and I basically lived in the hood, you know, in Pittsburgh, in, in a, a neighborhood called Homewood uh, that I cherish to, to this day. Um, but, you know, the, the schools in Homewood at the time were, the public schools were not the best. And so they sent me to Catholic school, which was the equivalent of a, of a prep school, even though we were Baptist and, you know, certainly didn't practice uh, Catholicism. But those were the best schools uh, in the city, basically, in terms of uh, preparing uh, someone for uh you know, a, a life in education. And so what they were, I think, prescient about was, was being able to place me in a, in a very educationally uh, rich uh, environment so that whatever seed I had could, uh, could flourish. So I think, I, you know, I thank them uh, uh, constantly for, for having the, the uh, foresight to do something like that. And they, they didn't know how it was going to turn out. And, and of course, neither did I. And as, you know, as I just kind of, you know, propelled through, through that system, you know, what, what that does is it, it provides options. It provides 
uh, opportunities for for one to risk to try new things to to fail uh, and to learn from from those failures and so being in uh, an academically uh, rich environment allowed me to 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 grow to to find my best uh, smart self, if you will, and through that, I discovered things that I wouldn't have ordinarily discovered. Nobody in my family before me uh, had graduated from college, for example, and so that was a, a path that that seemed uh, organic, seemed natural, based on my my uh, my academic success in in high school. So the the goal was okay. I guess you go to college now, <laughs> and uh, yeah. uh, didn't know what to major in. Didn't know you know what that was going to mean at the end of it. But uh, in eleventh grade, I took a psychology course because I was trying to avoid a hard science class, and that was an elective that I could could take. And up to that point, I thought I was going to write for uh, a living. Uh, started writing when I was eight, and and thought that was going to be you know who I was, but I didn't have any idea how to make a living at, at writing, except you know, I had heard yeah. of journalism. That didn't seem to be quite it. But then the psychology class kind of uh, exploded my, my thinking about what I could do because uh, it, it, it tapped into what I, as a shy, bookish kid, was already doing, which was paying attention to people, trying to figure out how they tick. And and for me, I was writing and you know trying to be creative and my exploration of that. But this was a whole discipline that was about trying to understand people. And it was a this yeah. eureka moment. Hey, I'm going to do that. <laughs> and so I majored in psychology and, and, and off I went, you know, to, to undergrad, having no idea what that adventure was going to be. But it was it was the beginning of, uh, of, of a grand adventure, as it turned out. So I think that what's fascinating to me is you have the contrast of two environments, right? You mentioned you grew up in the hood, but then you went to what were the best public schools or the best schools in Pittsburgh at the time. And I have so many questions about this around race, around community, but let's start with the environment piece because, you know, I wonder um, when you have an environment like the one that you grew up in, uh, you know, and then you go to school in an environment that's completely different. How is it that you managed not to succumb to the environment that you're in at home or in your neighborhood? Uh, and also, this is a question I asked one of our former guests who had happened to be a white guy who grew up in South Central LA, like in an all-black neighborhood. Um, when we look at this stuff, you know, and I was asking him, because, and I'm very curious from you, because as a black person, your perspective, I think, would be interesting because, you know, he was a white guy giving me his perspective. But you know, when I look at neighborhoods like that, like my perception of neighborhoods like that is, I probably guarantee you completely inaccurate because my entire perception of it is based on having seen John Singleton movies like mm -hmm. Boys in the Hood. Um, so when you look at how media portrays environments like that, what do you think that we misunderstand? And why is it that we get somebody like you who comes out of a neighborhood like that and accomplishes what you have and transcends the environment. And then on the, on the flip side, you get people like the characters in Boys of the Hood or the people who end up in prison. It's, I think it's easy to cherry pick, you know, the, the high profile things. Um, and yeah. if you have, if you have a, a, a media culture that, you know, if it bleeds, it leads, et cetera. Um, it's, it's going to pick, it's often going to pick the, the high profile, but low incident uh, events because those are more sensational. Those are more interesting 
to get people to watch your program. And so what it does miss, uh, it, it does miss the things that are mundane, but beautiful at the same time, uh, loving families and intact uh, households and um, a camaraderie between between uh, you know people of the same uh, cohort. Uh, so that's not interesting for the for the news because the news traffics in exceptions. And so I think one of the things that we have to keep track of is the the the, the media is going to show you the things that differ from the mundane because that's what makes sense for 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 ratings. Um, I, I think we should we should absolutely worry if what the news is doing is showing us just good things. Cause that means that's the exception to the horrible things that are happening yeah. um, uh, in the news. So I think that that's one of the things that the, 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 the narrative about uh, urban life uh, misses because of how we're built to learn things uh, in, in terms of our media culture. Yeah. Now, as far as, you know, sort of transcending the environment, you know, why is it that like, what is it that happens to somebody who doesn't end up in your situation and, and life goes you know, kind of into disarray for them. And, you know, there's a, there's a, uh, a novelist from uh, novelist and writer from, from Pittsburgh, uh, from, from Homewood, in fact, John Edgar Weidman, uh, who, you know, grew up in the same, uh, uh neighborhood that I did and, uh, uh, has a brother and his, you know, he ended up, you know, as a writer, his brother ended up, uh, going to prison for life. Um, and so under the same household and same neighborhood. And so it's, it's, you know, it's, it's ineffable what, what, what can happen, you know, in a family uh, because of how people are put together and how the environment reacts to how people are put together. Um, so it's, yeah. it, it's hard. It's sometimes hard to say, I mean, again, that's the same household and two different outcomes uh, from siblings uh, who, yeah. you know, it's, it's not like they were 20 years apart and, you know, generationally different. Uh, and so that's a fascinating study, uh, sadly so uh, for me, but it happens all the time. And, and I can certainly name people who grew up in the same neighborhood that I did and, uh, you know, that I don't consider myself smarter than than they were. And their lives didn't turn out, you know, the way mine did. What, one of the things that I had that, uh, you know, that was the, the bedrock uh, for me was, again, my, my parents' commitment to... Um, nurturing, you know, this, this, this shy bookish kid, uh, and, 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 you know, blocking for me and getting stuff out of my way. And so, you know, growing up, uh, bilingual, bicultural in that sense. So, you know, yes, I, I had to negotiate what was true about, about my neighborhood and still, you know, uh, wear, wear a necktie in, in, in school, you know, for 12 years. <laughs> um, yeah. And so that that level of uh, agility and, and versatility um, was was a survival tool, and, and it served me well. Didn't know, and, and again, I can't, I, I don't, I don't want to 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 place myself as this person who was so aware of 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 how nimble I was becoming. It, it just happened, you know. I, I grew up and survived it all, uh, and so I can't I can't take full credit for all the good things that that were, you know, uh, propping me up. But, uh, but I, I think I've tried to be, uh, you know, to my other point about how I grew up honorable, you know, to what my parents fed me, you know, so I tried not to, mm -hmm. to waste those things and tried to, you know, take some of the risks that they couldn't. Mm -hmm. 
So, you know, we've had, uh, as you might imagine, a lot of conversations about race this year. Uh, and so given where you grew up, I, I couldn't help but ask you about it because, you know, you mentioned uh, that, you know, you grew up in a world that was not really, you know, suited or, or not designed for a young black boy to thrive. So what were race relations like at the time when you're growing up and, and what did your your parents teach you about race? Yeah, that's, you know, it, it's such a, it's, I'm fascinated uh, by it still as I, as I look back, because I grew up in a time when, you know, things were kind of in transition, you know, going from, from, you know, from colored to Negro to black to Afro-American, you know, I mean, that was, that was an interesting trajectory. And, and watching that happen as the, the neighborhood was also in transition uh, and becoming more black. Uh, whereas before it was uh, it was pretty diverse, and, and I would say it leaned more toward uh, you know predominantly white. Um, watching that happen, so you know, being someone who grew in his uh, uh, ethnic identity at the same time the neighborhood was growing in its identity uh, was just a fascinating parallel uh, as, as I look back on it. And and so you know what my parents uh, often talked about in those early. Uh, discussions about race. We didn't have the talk that uh, Black parents have to have, I think, with their their children now about the danger of being Black with law enforcement. It was more about being respectful and being um, uh, making making sure that you were a good example of what Black people could be because people's uh, perception was so skewed in, in the opposite direction. The The goal was for me to make sure that I wasn't uh, feeding into those uh, stereotypes. So be, you know, uh, be polite, be, be respectful, uh, you know, be uh, um, uh, honorable and have integrity, et, et cetera, uh, because the, the prevailing narrative, because people didn't spend a lot of time really interacting with each other um, was, was stereotypical. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because, uh, you know, uh, Isabel Wilkerson wrote this brilliant book called Cast, which I had, mm -hmm. you know, alluded to uh, in, in a previous conversation with uh, Laura Robbins, who's a writer for Huffington Post, who is here. Um, and I had a fascinating conversation with her about this uh, around stereotypes and where they come from. And it, it, stereotypes are fascinating to me because, I mean, you know, the funny thing is, like, stereotypes in a lot of ways, you know, they get shaped by kind of our experiences. So we make broad generalizations based on individual experiences. So we turn, you know, um, individual experience into universal truth when it comes to stereotypes. And I mean, I, even as an Indian person, you know, I know that there are things that people have uh, as stereotypes about us. But what I wonder about your, your life experience, like, what do you remember as uh, one of your first experiences with racism? Um. And, and I, I appreciate the question because it 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 is uh it is important to kind of kind of map out you know what what's the constellation of 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 racism in, in any any given person's life because it, it 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 will differ uh, uh from from time to time and and so yeah I, I uh I, I like I like talking about it just because it has been such a journey you know uh so you know one one of the one of the earliest uh, recollections had to do uh, again with the academic environment that I was in. And I wrote an essay, um, you know, as a part of a, a, a class assignment. And I was, I was like in the second grade and, um, 
and you know they asked us to to write some stuff and and I used the word ritual in um in my essay and and the teacher thought I had uh copied it from somewhere she she thought somebody else had done done the work for me because there's no way that I should know that word um uh as a as a second grader and 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 her her countenance uh, about it was and at least my interpretation uh, about it was you little black boy couldn't possibly know that word yet uh and and use it correctly you know in a in a in a sentence and um and so it became this uh, inflamed uh thing where my parents had to come to the school and and basically explain to them uh, look, this is a kid who's been reading, you know, since he was three. He reads the dictionary for fun. Yes, he knows that word. He uses it <laughs> um, regularly, and in addition to a whole bunch of other words that are certainly beyond what you would expect a second grader to use. And um, and and he is, if if not equal to, uh, perhaps superior to some of the to other kids in this class. And and we we kind of insist that you you recognize that and not uh, accuse him of um, of malfeasance. And so, um, and, and at the time there was, there was, there was no discussion. I mean, she didn't say you little black boy, this or, or that, but in the, in the aftermath and the postmortem of it, my, my parents talked about it as, as a racial incident. And I hadn't, I hadn't made that connection at all, honestly. And I was one of maybe two uh, black kids in the, in the class of, uh, you know, maybe, uh, you know, a, a dozen. And so that was the first time I had to think about, people's perceptions of me, uh, including this, this element, uh, in a way that wasn't, wasn't positive, that somehow detracted from, from who I was. And so it was, it was a very complicated, uh, moment, but I, I do consider that kind of my, my first recollection of the awareness of race as a, uh, as a negatively valence thing. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie uh, Finding Forrester with Sean Connery. Sure. Uh, but the the very that almost exact scene plays out for the the young kid. He ends up writing something because they he's this incredibly talented basketball player, and he goes to some fancy prep school in New York, and he ends up writing something that's so brilliant that the teacher actually questions whether it's his. And then finally, at the end, Sean Connery comes in and reads it, and he says, "You know, I had to come and read this for my friend Jamal because uh, he wasn't allowed to read it, but this is these are his words, not mine." <laughs> you know, and that it just reminds me of that. Yeah. And, you know, I've I've said there's been many incidences, uh, you know, that that resemble that one where, uh, you know, uh, the 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 unfortunate compliment of somebody being surprised at how well you did something. Um, And 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 I resent that level of surprise, you know, Um, uh, and and it went through this. I've been through this in every, uh, you know, iteration of my academic life for sure. And, um, and, in, and in some cases uh, in, in my personal life where people are talking about how articulate I am and uh, as if that's a surprise. Uh, <laughs> right. uh, and, you know, obviously, you know, uh, you know, you, Chris Rock has joked about it with, you know, talking about Colin Powell in terms of like, like, what were you expecting? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, 
And well, so, it's like when my parents, you know, somebody tells my parents, oh, it's like your English is so good. It's like, well, we've been here for 25 fucking years. Of course, <laughs> your English is decent. Yeah. And it's funny you mentioned this because, you know, I, I my dad is a professor, a college professor. And, and, you know, you're an academic, so you know how the system goes of like tenure and, and then, you know, promotion after promotion. And I've had to literally rewrite rebuttal letters for him because he's been denied promotions that were like completely not factual i looked at them and he's like yeah none of this is true and i was like well then why is this happening you've been at the mm-hmm. university for 25 years and it, it was shocking to me that you know in an environment like a university he's he actually said he's like in all honesty he said it's partially racism um and i, I could not believe that you know after this long i mean and he's been there for almost 20, almost 30 years at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what I wondered now is, is, you know, having grown up the way you did in the neighborhood that you did around the time that you did, uh, when you look at where we're at now, and, and part of the reason, you know, I, I wanted to talk about this in particular is because as I was reading the poems, I noticed that a lot of your poems uh, centered around specific events, which we'll, we'll talk a bit about. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you see where we're at now uh, and you see where you, you know, how you grew up, like, how do you feel? I mean, I mean, hopefully with, with, you know, uh, the election of Biden, you know, we're going to get out of this mess, but it, you know, I did see somebody say, uh, it was a, actually a woman on Trevor. Noah. I think she was a sociologist of some sort, a black woman. And he was talking to her about some of this and, and, you know, two party systems. She said, you still have to remember 70 million people voted for Trump. And many of them, you know, he, she said, it doesn't change the fact that we live in a divisive society just because we have a new president. It's chilling the number of people who who voted for him, uh, and and the fact that you know we're 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 verging on twenty twenty one, and that's still a thing. Uh, it's stunning, um, and as much as there is to celebrate, you know, there's at least seventy million other things to be fearful uh, of, and even though I'm. You know, I, I you know I've, I've been I've been fortunate and I've worked hard and so I've you know I've managed to get some of the prizes. You know, um, uh, I have doctor in front of my name if I really want to insist on that. Um, you know, I have a couple of uh, Emmy awards, so that's the biggest prize you can get in the in the profession that that I'm in. And you know, and I'm still alive. <laughs> and so, uh, the, but even even though those things are true, nobody uh, pulling me over. Uh, at a stoplight uh, is going to see any of those things. They're just going to see a black dude in a car. And so I have to go through all of the algebra of what can this turn out to be? Because I don't have time to list my, my, my CV for this cop. (laughs) And and I have no idea what all of his uh, history has led to in terms of how he perceives me as you know, uh, a, a 200 pound muscular black guy in a car. Yeah. And so that's a different narrative, especially when you look at the uh, what what can be perceived as a dysmorphia in terms of uh, you know, law enforcement often misperceiving, you know, what a 12 year old looks like in, in, in a, you know, Tamir Rice or, or an, you know, a, a Mike Brown who who looks like a monster or you know, Terrence Crutcher, who was perceived from a helicopter as being dangerous. Like, you know, it, I have to I have to be concerned about what the lens is that I'm being perceived uh, by, even in 2020, even after yeah. uh, 70 plus million people vote for 
the guy that I wanted them to vote for. But then there's and, and again, if, if you look at the, the 70 million people that that represents the people who voted. That doesn't represent the people who are related to them or live next door to them who didn't vote, who still believe the same thing. So it's at least 70 million people. And so having to negotiate that every day. And I wrote an essay about this. I posted on the Facebook uh, several years ago called What I Want White People to Know About Me. And so one of the one of the things that I talked about in the essay was you have very little idea of the weight that. I carry into a situation and I'm one of the lucky ones. I'm privileged uh, in comparison. And so if I have to worry about these things and I have a certain amount of privilege that can protect me, if I, if I, you know, insist on people calling me doctors, things change, you know, fairly quickly in, in those situations where it's like, Oh, okay. So this is, this is not quite what I thought it was going to be, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, but not, not everybody has that, that, that weapon, if, if you will, to, to wield in the situation that is uh, electrified by, by, by race. Well, it's, it's funny. I'm sure you've probably seen it. Dave Chappelle in one of his stand-up comedy bits tells this story about how uh, he and a friend were, were walking around and they were both stoned and uh, you know, they walked up to the police officer to, ask, he's like, we're not going to ask for a cop for directions. Cause he talks about how black people are afraid of the police. And he was <laughs> a black man would never talk to a policeman while he's high. That would be a waste of weed. <laughs> You know, I remember hearing that, but then, and he tells the story about how his white friend goes to the cop, and he's like, "Yeah, he's like, hey, we're kind of stoned," and the officer's like, "Calm down." And he's like, Eighth Street is that way," and then just lets them go. Uh, but the funny thing is, you know, this isn't just an American thing. Like, I, you know, you kind of triggered a, a memory for me that my dad told me about. So my dad was a, a, a PhD student in Australia growing up, and, and at that time in the late seventies, Australia was very open to uh, immigration, and a lot of Indians ended up going there. And he had a, a an, another uh, postdoctoral candidate who was in his lab with him who was a black person. And he told me, he said, when we would go to look at apartments, people wouldn't rent to the guy simply because he was black. Mm-hmm. And my dad finally got to the point where he had to literally call in advance and say, listen, I have a friend who's looking for an apartment. I'm going to bring him there to look at it. But we don't want to waste the gas driving there. Uh, if you're not going to rent to him, he's black. You should know that. But I could know. I mean, and wow. to me, I was like, wow, this actually is not just an American thing, but it's mm-hmm. a worldwide thing. Um, and that that to me is kind of shocking that it's still there. So uh, I guess this is a really weird question, probably. Mm-hmm. But what do you think are the roots of this? Like, why is it that? You know, why is racism prevalent, particularly in America? Like, why is it that somebody would be racist against a, a black person? Um do you think media plays a role in creating that? Like what even causes that? What are the roots of this? I mean, the, 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 the broadest, uh, the simplest explanation is that this is the, the legacy of, of slavery. And, and the fact that we started off, we black people in America started off on, you know, unequal footing, you know, being seen as chattel, um, and even post slavery, uh, have have not been able to to kind of shed the 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 history of that and and so part of what happens I I I, I think is is when when you have a, you know a whole group of people that were basically you know labor literally slave labor immediately there's a distinction between haves and have-nots we are better white people are. Are, are able to say in that situation, because in, if, if you look at it, they are 
not necessarily, you know, whatever your cosmology is, you know, in the eyes of, of, of a higher power, but in, you know, in, in the practical everyday sense of it, oh, we're, we're better than you. And so even though the law changed about what we say about that, um, there's still the, the stain of that from, from the perceptual sense, but there's also uh, an internalized uh, stain that, that happens. And so tribalism, uh, I think is a, is a consequence of that where people, you know, you, you stick with who's, who's, who looks like you and who's comfortable, uh, uh, with you, uh, et cetera. And so you don't get a chance to develop a sense of empathy if you don't interact with people. Uh, it, it's harder, let's say. Uh, and so empathy is, uh, I think at the, at, at the core, it's, it's the, it's the soul of how we, how we treat another person. If, if I know how my behavior affects you, I govern my behavior accordingly. But if I've practiced not thinking about your perception because I'm, I'm in this tribe and you're in that tribe, then I don't get a chance to do that. I don't get a chance to practice that, that level of empathy. It's much harder to, to oppress a person whose feelings you've taken into uh, account. And so I think an answer to your question, the, the long answer to your question is, is that this, this, uh, this history of being uh, separate and in some cases uh, equal, but in, in a lot of cases, not really uh, the whole separate but equal thing just wasn't, wasn't really true. Um, yeah. There's just been a lot of practice in not interacting with each other. And, uh, and some things have, you know, some things change that when, you know, when you, when you're forced to be together, you know, uh, on a job, uh, you know, in some ways, uh, in some ways unions help that in terms of, uh, the, the bigger enemy was, uh, the, the guys with the money. And so collective bargaining, we were all in this together. And so in some ways that helped in some ways, even though, you know, the, the military was, uh, was, uh, you know, segregated, but at some point, you know, when, when people are shooting at you, uh, yeah, we're, we're more like than we're different because they're shooting at us, you know? Uh, and yeah. so there was a certain bonding that, that happened there, but outside of those, you know, very incendiary, uh, conditions, you know, we're, we're not often forced to live with each other and interact with each other. And so that lack of empathy, uh, and internalized, uh, stains on both sides of the racial fence, I think, you know, continue to prevail. Yeah, it's funny because when you were saying all that, I couldn't help but think of the movie Remember the Titans. But, um, you know, you're talking about you know, separate but equal. And it's interesting because in Isabel Wilkerson's book, she says, you know, like they created all these policies. Um, I think either FDR, I don't remember which president it was. She said, but uh, it was for homeownership. And she said mm-hmm. what people don't actually acknowledge in history is almost all of the policies that were you know, designed to move society forward and, and make life better for Americans actually excluded uh black people and i never knew that i you know and you look at it and you're like wait a minute that is that literally is the definition of structural racism yeah and you know you know uh, redlining and and you know uh, and then those little subtle things that happen when you when you try to rent an apartment even if it's uh you know legal to do so uh you know those those things become uh you know part of the disease of 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 living you know uh a, a racialized life and it 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 takes a toll and and we're in a we're in a place now where let's just say post uh you know george floyd where you know there have been a, a number of incidences 
uh, you know, for decades, you know, prior to that. But I think the uh, the influence of, of of COVID and then us being cooped up uh, made that a different flashpoint than than uh, Mike Brown or Tamir Rice or Trayvon Martin, uh, even though those certainly were flashpoints. But it didn't become as global as George Floyd was. But I think that was uh, under the under the blanket of of COVID uh, as a as an additional frustration that that uh, kind of burst uh, burst that bubble, um, and so. Now there's there's you know there's a great deal more discussion about it. There are, uh, there there are you know uh, diversity trainings and unconscious bias trainings and uh, white fragility as a as a as a bestseller uh, et cetera. Uh, but then you know you're still looking at that 70 million people uh, who, who voted for for the other guy uh, who's in office still. And and yeah. so as a you know as as a black person in America. Uh, one still has to be, you know, just really sanguine about it. And it's just like, oh, yeah, sure. Uh, better, <laughs> for sure. Better, but not great. And and not not as not as good as it should be, you know, on, yeah. on the eve of, of 2021. Yeah. Well, okay. So let's shift gears a little bit. Uh, uh, what I wonder is how in the world somebody who gets a doctorate in clinical psychology ends up becoming a spoken word poet and an Emmy award winning television producer. Those <laughs> things don't seem to, those, those are not two combos or three combos you'd ever imagine going together. No, it's, it, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to talk about it because uh, I want people to, to use my life as an example of, you don't have to have it all figured out. And, and there are, there are paths that you can make for yourself that, that weren't there before. And, uh, and you, you don't have to feel uh, stuck. You know, my, my favorite thing is when I hear a 25 year old saying, Oh, it's, it's too late for me. I can't make it in the industry. <laughs> I'm like, just, just shut up. You know what I mean? <laughs> You're 25. The world is your oyster yeah. and, uh, stop tripping, you know? Um, uh, but, but I, I, I like using, using my life as an example because it is weird. You know, it's, it's, it's a strange combo, you know, the, the unicorn of it all. Um, but the truth is, uh, I, I consider myself a writer more than I consider myself any other thing. You know, I, I alluded to, you know, started, you know, writing poetry when I was when I was eight years old and, and you know, kind of fell in love with what language could do, um, what I could do with language, not just, you know, uh, as a reader, but also as, as someone who could uh, manipulate language and, and uh, kind of break the code of, of what it could do. Um, and so that's really the, the, the foundation of, of, of who I am. It just so happens that you know couldn't figure out how to make a living you know as as a poet that was never even a thing to to consider but it it it, it is the, the the thread that that runs through through my life being able to be a storyteller uh, with words so while I'm you know a professor at at a university and you know uh, running a a mental health center and having a private practice I'm still writing all the time and feeling kind of frustrated that this isn't what I'm doing for a living. And, and at some yeah. point I thought, yeah, I'm, and I'm well-trained, you know, as a, as a shrink and a professor and that's going fine, but it's not, it's not fulfilling. It's not, uh, it's not doing it for me. And, and here's where we circle back to, you know, my parents giving me the, the, the freedom to try new stuff. And so, uh, you know, having a doctorate is, is a great plan B, frankly. And so, <laughs> it was it was easier to basically say, look, if this doesn't work out, moving to Hollywood and trying to be a writer, if it doesn't work out, you can come back and be a professor or open your private practice back up again. Um, you know, no harm, no foul. 
And uh, but making the decision to leave still still is the best decision I've ever made. Uh, betting on myself, basically, to to try something different, so, to try something that wasn't wasn't uh, preordained by by how I grew up or how I was educated. And so yeah. I, you know, I moved I moved to L.A. and didn't <laughs> didn't have a job, didn't uh, didn't know anybody in the business, knew one person, a guy. Uh, uh, a good friend of mine from from high school, but you know he wasn't like a studio head, so that that wasn't really helpful uh, in in you know the the creative hookup. Uh, and I, I figured it out, you know, but, but figured it out makes 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 me sound like I'm smart, you know, in that way. No, I, I figured it out. That is, no, just stick to it, uh, uh, just keep at it. And the the adage of the 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 harder you work, the luckier you get is is what happened, honestly. And, uh, and so I ended up, you know, tripping into reality TV at its, it's kind of at its inception because somebody took a chance on me, you know, and, um, and, and it flourished from there. The, the poetry thing continued, uh, just because, um, I, I'll, I'll write all of my life, you know, regardless of, of whether I get paid to do it and, uh, okay. and, and started to perform a little bit more and become comfortable um, uh, just, you know, doing the performance, uh, piece of it. And, you know, and so now all of those things are, are still, you know, alive and well. So, um, I do want to ask you one question around the mental health piece, because I think that I, I, it seems like, um, mental health, uh, and race have a very sort of interesting coexistence. Um, and I, I know this through my own personal experience because, you know the sort of I, I don't know what it is is for black people, but I'm curious, particularly as a therapist who who is black or a psychologist who's black. Um, the narrative that I grew up with, particularly around you know mental health and getting help for it, was that therapy is for crazy people, and if you saw one, God forbid that you talk about it so much so that. Um, there was a time, uh, and my sister is a doctor, and for some reason she couldn't refill my prescription uh, for my antidepressants. This is when I was taking them. Uh, and, my mom, and I asked my mom, I was like, well, can you call a friend? I mean, you know, a thousand fucking doctors, like everybody we know. And she actually refused. And I said, why? She said, because I don't want them to know that you're taking antidepressants. Wow. Yeah. And that, you know, so I, so I wonder when you look at mental health, particularly in the context of race, uh, what have you seen? Well, part of it is that same uh, stigma. You know, part of it is that, you know, if, if, you're getting mental health treatment, there's, there's something broken about you in a way that's shameful, uh, as opposed to, you know, getting dialysis, which isn't shameful or, or, you know, mending a, you know, a broken ankle. That's, there's no shame in that, but having a broken brain, having broken, you know, biochemistry, uh, that, that seems like it's an, an endemic to you as a, as a human being. And there's something, something corrupt about that. And so that, you know, has, has, you know, pervaded the, the, the community such that there's, I mean, it's gotten better. You know, there, there are certainly people who, who talk about, um, uh, uh, therapy and, and the, 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 the benefits of it. And, and there are very prominent people who happen to be black and, and, and are supportive, but, you know, the, the prevailing narrative is still, eh, there's something wrong with you. You know, and yeah. and it's and it's going to take a while, I think, uh, uh, you know, before people realize uh, that, you know, it, it is a it is a helpful and um, uh, not uh, shameful thing to do. 
but yeah. you know that that's that's a that's a path. You know that that's not going to be a, a quick fix. And and you know the the, the media psychologists who you know, who kind of traffic in those, those kind of quick fixes that, uh, that doesn't really help. Um, uh, I think the, 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 you know, the, the overriding narrative is still, no, there's, there's something wrong with you and, and how you were raised or how you negotiate the world or, um, or, or, or whatever, but it is, um, it's not, it's still not okay. Um, so we still have a lot of work to do. And, uh, and I think that's, we, we just, you know, we just have to continue to do the work. We, we have to continue to, to tell each other, to, uh, to tell our, uh, to tell our peers, to tell ourselves that we wouldn't have this, we don't have this same level of shame, you know, for a sinus infection, you know? Uh, but when it's your, what your, when it's your brain, your, your feelings, your thoughts, that seems like something that you could fix on your own to some people, you know? And yeah. so, um, uh, and and with and with a, a group of people who have had reason to uh, to be wary of of science, you know, whether it be you know the Tuskegee uh, experiments or Henrietta Lacks or, or whatever, um, there's you know it, it's in some ways understandable, but it's also un- unfortunate because but because there is there is value in this in this thing, you know, beyond, beyond the fear of it. Yeah. Well, and <clears throat> I think that, you know, it's funny cause you're, you're a spoken word poet and we are spending a lot of time talking about race. And part of the reason for that is because as I was reading your poems, I realized like this plays a huge role in, you know, your art. So I wonder, you know, as an, as an artist and as a creative, when you think about the choices you make both from, you know, uh, the, the poems that you choose to compose, but also the projects you choose to get involved from a television standpoint, um, what is it that determines your choices? Um, what, you know, when you're conveying messages, like what is important to you to get across, um, when you make things? Cause like, I, I think about, uh, my work here and I think to me, like what I want is to give a home to people who feel like they don't have one, um, particularly as creatives. Like that is because I, I've always felt that even in my own culture, I, I've jokingly said, I was like, the people I feel least comfortable around are Indians, like my own, hmm. because I feel that often this is the place where I'm going to be judged. You know, I was working on this piece about the, <clears throat> you know, woes of being an immigrant in the arts. And as it is, like, you know, it's discouraged. But then, you know, until you become like, you know, Mindy Kaling and her son Minaj, people mm-hmm. are like, oh, you're just some schmuck who's wasting your education. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, 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 it's a burden, uh, uh, sadly. And, and, and I think, um, you know, you know, my, my goal, look, I, I can't pretend that I, I've chosen every project because of some, you know, uh, uh, lofty philosophy. Sometimes I need to keep the lights on, you know, <laughs> and, yeah, uh, and that's just the truth of it. Uh, I'm, I'm at a point in my career now where I have, I have more choices and I, and I can, um, I can turn down some things that, that don't seem to fit, uh, you know, what I'm, what I'm trying to, to accomplish in the world, uh, as a, as a creative. And, um, and so, um, I have a lot more freedom in, in what I write, uh, of course, and, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that, but in, in mm-hmm. what I try to align myself with, uh, in, in, in television work is, is, you know, uh, a, a type of storytelling that, that allows people to, to have conversations about what's, what's, what's true in the world, even if that's, uh, not necessarily the, the easiest conversation to, to have. And, and, and so that's, 
that's been fortunate. I've been able to do that for for the last several years, and and it's and it's what I tell you know the people who 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 help find you know gigs for me or or, or people for me to meet uh, uh, with the hope of uh, having a gig um, is that this is this is what I'm looking for. I'm looking for for things that have have meaning in in a way beyond you know just kind of following people around who are dating or uh, or or in the soap opera of it. And I'm and I'm not yeah. trying to malign those things. Those those are entertaining things. And, and don't worry, I've been been I've unfortunately been not just you know I wouldn't say a victim of it, but I've been on one of those things. So oh okay, <laughs> that's so you, my latest so, claim to fame now. So, so you get it. And and look, yeah. uh, you know people people uh, are entertained by it, and and in some ways, uh, I, mean, I think there are some shows that that do harm, but but most of them don't. Some I think most of them are uh, innocuous, uh, but but it's also not necessarily a thing that I want to do. Uh, and, and so, so I, 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 I make very, uh, uh intentional, uh, decisions, uh, around what I want to work on and, uh, and I'm willing to, to, you know, kind of sacrifice, uh, some stability in order to, to do that. Um, but as a writer, I have a lot more control. So, um, you know, the, the book and album, uh, boy, uh, a collection of poems, um, that, uh, both of which are, are out now, those are are called from lots of work, but uh, the 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 fillet of it, it really is around uh, social justice things, not just domestically, but you know globally um, uh, about uh, it, it just how how we how we treat each other and 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 how that isn't always the uh, uh, the the greatest outcome for for some groups over others. So looking at the othering of of what human beings can do to each other is, is part of the, the, the soul of, of, of the book and, and the album. Um, and, and that, that was important to me, not because I have the answers, but completely opposite of that because I don't. Uh, and I think if I, if I'm a, a town crier enough about certain things, whether it be, uh, uh, race or, 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 or gender or class, let's say, um, that maybe somebody else is stimulated by how I've talked about it, and maybe they will have an answer, or way, or they can be in a conversation with somebody that can can have an answer. Uh, at the very least, what I'm after to to go back to something I mentioned before, what I'm after is increasing empathy. And so, if if I can write something in such a way, whether it be from the point of view of Khalif Browder, who was in jail for for three years. Um, but but not really convicted of anything, uh, or you know a, 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 a trans woman who is uh, uh, you know reflecting on all the other trans women who have been murdered in America. Um, if if I can put those things out there, maybe somebody will think about these issues in a way that they hadn't before, and maybe they can be part of a solution that that I I haven't conceived of. Mm, wow. Wow. Um, well, uh, as always, Cher has, has knocked it out of the park and said as yet another uh, amazing guest. So uh, I want to finish with my final question, which I'm, I'm very curious to see how you're going to answer this. But what do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? I think what makes someone unmistakable is when they embrace what is unique about them. Uh, it's easy to 
figure out how you're part of a tribe, you know, uh, how you want to be part of a tribe. You want to be considered, um, you know, one of the group, um, one of the, the in crowd, the cool kids in the cafeteria, whatever it happens to be. But I think what makes someone unmistakable and being unmistakable is about someone else's perception of you largely. And so I think once you embrace what is unique about you, then it's hard for people to mistake you for, for someone else. Um, and they, they have to, they have to acknowledge whether they like it or not, they have to acknowledge your distinction in the world, but it's, it's, it's going to be harder for them to acknowledge your distinction. If you don't, um, I acknowledge my distinction as this bizarre unicorn, you know, doctor, poet, TV producer. It's, it's weird, but I'm, I celebrate that. And I celebrate that not for the narcissism of it, of which there has to be some for sure, but I celebrate that for the beacon it can be for other people to embrace their unicorn, embrace their weird, embrace their unmistakable. Amazing. Um, well, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us uh, and sharing your insights and wisdom with our listeners. Where can people find out more about you, uh, your work, uh, the book, and everything else that you're up to? Oh, thanks for asking about that. Um, you know, DonnieJacksonPoetry.com is is a place to go, and that, that'll lead you to uh, the book. Yeah, there's, there's an album version of the book. Uh, boy poems and you can find that on all the streamers you know spotify and apple music itunes um amazon and so i you know i i I invite people to 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 read the book or listen to the album uh or do both at the same time because that's that's one way of of experiencing the the story so yeah um i'm not i'm not hard to find in that regard uh follow me on on instagram uh not because you'll learn a lot about me particularly, but I, I try to feature other people regularly on all my Instagram, uh, just Dr. Donnie, uh, doctor is spelled out Dr. Donnie on Instagram. Um, yeah. So I hope, I hope people will, uh, will check it out and let me know what they, they think, uh, you know, share it with people that you think are like-minded that might get something from it. Amazing. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person, because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch, the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.